Happy New Year, everyone. Welcome back to Are Your Parents Proud of You? I'm your host, Matthew Schufreiter, but you knew that already. We're like, what, five, four, five, three, two seasons in? Who knows? I've lost track. Uh, today, for the new year, I'm speaking with my friend, actor, and audiobook narrator, Brenda Scott Waslow a graduate of Florida State University's School of Theater and the American Musical and Dramatic Art Academy in New York. Also, I.O., let's not forget about improv. She has been performing professionally for 20 years in Toronto, New York, Boston, Chicago, has over four years of experience in narrating for publishers, and for the last two years has been narrating full-time in her Studio Bricks home studio. A proud sack after member, Brenda and I did the show Mrs. Claus, A Holiday Experience. I call it an experience. People call it the musical, but uh, it's an experience if you've seen the show. Uh, we played husband and wife, the villains, Mr. and Mrs. Fusspot. She is a delightful person. And so I can't wait for you to listen to our conversation. So here it is, my conversation with Brenda Scott Waslow. Good morning, Brenda. How are you? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. Uh, we were just talking before uh, we hit record. Uh why does it feel like we always there's some kind of COVID issue every time we try to hang out? Because there's a COVID issue every time we try and hang out. <laughs> At the time of recording this, I am completing my isolation with my second round of COVID, but it feels literally feels like every time we're brought together, there is some kind of COVID. The uh, COVID just follows us, whether when we did a show and I got it, and then when we went back to rehearsals, I was exposed. And now here we are again, dealing with isolation all over again. I mean, as much as I love our friendship, it sounds a lot like there's only one person that's the problem here. And that's COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> We met, we did a, we've been doing this kid show called Mrs. Claus uh, for, we just wrapped up our second year together. Um, now, I, I don't know how you felt about me, but when I met you, I think you know this, strongly intimidated, very excited to work with. Um, how did you feel about me or how did you feel when the rehearsals start knowing that you're going to be working with me for several weeks? I was very excited to to um, to meet you and to work with you. Um, I had heard about you already because a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours, um, uh, was like, oh, Michael, yeah, he's in the show with you. And I was like, oh, okay, great. Um, so you came in with a real high bar. <laughs> and uh, I remember thinking, oh, thank God he's tall. Um I'm 5'10 in heels. I'm like six foot. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with height differentials on stage. I am actually like pro getting that out there because I think that it's one of the the stupid hang-ons of misogyny that we constantly have to see a female lead and a male lead in those roles in that that height. Um, but uh I didn't feel like fighting that that day. <laughs> so uh, when I saw you, I was like, oh, they're going to put me in heels this year. That'll be fun. Because <laughs> we play these villains. Uh, we'll we'll talk about the show. What are these two cartoonish villains called the Fusspots, Mr. and Mrs. Fusspot? Uh, so we are over the top. I have I have a weird mustache. You have this amazing wig and glasses. Um I rem what I remember is during rehearsals, you went, oh, they finally like each other. And it made no sense to me at first. And then you you were telling me that in years have you played this role, the relationship has always been abusive. Yeah, uh, it's very much like a, a slapstick duo. And it is uh, a product of its time, which was written like, I don't know, 20 plus years ago, um, which has room for adaptation. But the stereotypes were that it was like, oh, blah, 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 like on the brink of separation and divorce. Yeah. Um, and it was lovely because you brought in this like, I'll listen to you, but and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is like therapy. We went and came back and it worked and our marriage is going to, to make it. Right. <laughs> it was wonderful. <laughs> I want to bring up the the intimidation because I remember that first day of rehearsal where it was just free will, do whatever you want, do improvise, try bits. And I was like, oh, cool. This is my wheelhouse. And then like maybe the third rehearsal, I think you finally were like, okay, what are you doing? So I can be prepared for whatever you're going to do next time, please. 
And I was like, well, okay. I got now I gotta stop. I, uh, I I I have this uh slight insecurity um because I am a Capricorn and so I'm very blunt. Yep. Um I I have very little filter. It is there, but like if the emotions rise, the filter goes down. <laughs> so um I think there in moments of frustration, I think if for clarity's sake, I also just kind of like go back to my New York roots when I live there and I just stop and I go, okay, tell me exactly what you want because I, I don't have time. I don't have time. Um but I mean as you're love. saying this, I feel like I'm back in rehearsals right now <laughs> dealing with this. I love you, Matthew. <laughs> yep. Bob, I love here. We don't listen, we actually don't fight. We really don't fight at all. It's really just I don't know. We just like to clarify things with each other. That's all. Yeah. 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 He sees me yell at everybody else equally. So yes. it's a, And you see me not yelling at anybody and just do weird bits with everyone else. And so the feeling's mutual. So we're fine here. Uh, and then once we finally were like, all right, now we're stuck with each other. We're going to have to deal with this. Uh, that's when my car broke and you very friendly volunteered. Like, I will just carpool. And I really think that's how our relationship blossomed from here, which was you drive me and I, and I pick you up coffee every day. And you really get to know somebody on 45 minute drives back and forth for, you know, two years. When you're doing the same, when you're doing it for multiple days on end. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that was so tough. This, this year was even, it felt even harder to do than last year. I don't know why, maybe just with the days off and, you know, we both had different projects going on at the time. So it was like, you were busy. You were, yeah. Busy. I mean, I was busy too, but you were like busy, busy. Yeah. I mean, I always say attitude and gratitude, so much fun to do both shows, but um, I think my favorite part was definitely going to bed, but that's just, that's, that's just me aging, you know. <laughs> that's, that's you aging into your final form, which is a 40 year old man. <laughs> I cannot wait. There is a, literally, I'm looking at my jar of cornstarch right now that I would use for during the pandemic when it was just Zoom readings. I, if I had to play an old man. I would like just put the cornstarch on and honest to God, I looked pretty good in gray. I'm not going to, I I think if you get the temples going, you could, yeah. you wanted to go somewhere and you want to like have a little gravitas, just like powder the sides of your ears. Ooh, go. Get the glasses going like, Ooh, like I'm going to be a really good silver Fox. I'm not going to lie. I'm very much looking forward to it. <laughs> um what I you know what I also noticed about you you can tell me if I'm wrong here that you're such a great great you're such a, a great life coach or um a good teacher and I know that you you know with your audiobook job and um you do classes and you are you know you teach people how to become a narrator um but not only that you're such a great um instructor or we can say instructor or coach for outside of life and I kind of want to know did that was that always you or did it did you take inspiration from maybe past instructors past teachers um when growing up you know yeah I hmm, that's a good question I think I've always had a desire to help people that's kind of ingrained I think that's one of my core values I really if I see somebody struggling with something even if I I can't be the 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 fixing portion of that problem um, being a kind of like backboard for them to talk it out or to be able to kind of like, um, sort through something very big and make it into smaller parts so that it's manageable. That's been something that, um, I have learned how to do in my own life because of years of therapy and, um, just general, general relationship. But the, I think the desire has always been there. If I see somebody struggling with anything to be like, ah, uh, okay, like, First off, you're not alone. Second off, what are we what do we need to talk through in order to make this feel less? And uh, I kind of applied that to my coaching when I started to um, realize that there was uh, a desire from me to kind of like share my knowledge. And so um, in 2018, uh, I started like I had a studio and out out of my office, like in an actual office space studio that had an on-camera area and I had my booth here and I was uh, coaching and doing um, acting and audiobook and on camera. And it was going really well until the pandemic hit <laughs> and that kind of slammed everything to a stop. 
And then I um, have recently picked back up audiobook coaching, especially for actors here in Chicago, because again, like the struggle that I see is um, I'm, I'm talented. I've spent a lot of money and a lot of time and effort on this passion and I want to make it a career, but I, I can't get paid for it. And Chicago's built on non-union work, which is super tough. And so I transitioned into audiobooks because I, I was like, well, I want to still act, but I want to get paid. And I am, and I can now. And I'm like, great. So the, the struggle I see is that you can't do what you want all the time. So let me help you. What are the steps we need to take to get you to do that? And so that's kind of like turned into um, my coaching style, my my coaching style with with pretty much everything that I do. Yeah. And, and how long have you been? <laughs> <laughs> how long have you been doing the audiobooks now? Five years going on six. Yeah. Nice. I know. And then, what is something, because I actually, I don't do, uh, I haven't started the audiobook train yet, but I heard nothing but great things about it. Um, what is something that people don't seem to realize about audiobooks? Is it is it maybe the pay? Is it maybe there's a lot of work for it? Or is is it harder than it seems? I would assume that first of all. There is some there is some training that needs to to happen because it is a, a different genre. Like um much like uh, on stage is different than on camera, you know, there is some equipment that you need to purchase and know how to handle. But I think the thing that um, I emphasize with everybody is if you are already an actor, you are 75% there. The gig is talent. The gig is portraying stories authentically. And being able to tell a story is a lot of what the actors that I already know and love can do very well. And so the 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 hurdle then is that last 25% and that 25% is actually pretty achievable pretty quickly um because the learning curve for the equipment and everything is not nearly as steep as learning how to do character development learning how beats you know work learning how uh when to have moments of silence and when to plow through like all of those things inherently you already know if you are a trained actor if you're not a trained actor, these are the things that you need to learn, which you can. And and I also work with people who aren't actors who I teach them those things. Um, but their journey is going to be a little bit longer because they haven't had a lot of the life experience to be able to get them to the point where they can begin auditioning and booking quickly. I, I love that. And you're right. It is like I was watching this uh, movie a couple of weeks ago and it was starring this Broadway actor. I, I can't remember the name of this, this guy at all, but it was his feature film debut. And you could tell he comes from a lot of Broadway or a lot of theater because he's acting more with his face and with his body a lot more, which, ha, huh, I went to college. I remember this. It was you don't it's minimal acting on that camera um, or else you're going to come off as very cartoonish. And sure enough, here we are with this as actor who is just standing out unfortunately like a sore thumb um because of his broadway uh background and so no that makes perfectly good sense and even like long form narration is different than short form so if you're doing like um e-learning demo like a, a e-learning thing or a corporate training or, or there's lots of voiceover opportunities in addition to just like animation or audiobooks or like radio there's there's tr truly like a vast array of options and each one requires a little bit of, of finesse to <clears throat> understand that that genre and the, the listeners expectations of that genre and um, learning those nuances is is not hard but you don't know what you don't know so that's where the training right. comes in right and but people say I mean it's like when I do this if you have a microphone you know people always freak out even like self-tapes or their audiobooks forever they freak out about the equipment and then a, you're in a recording booth right now as we're recording this um they freak out about like the money and then freaking out about what ex if the most expensive mic mic is the best mic but honestly if you have just you know i've had this microphone that i'm using for the last three years now just that you've done a pretty majority of the work now like you said it's just time to finesse it you know yeah yeah, you don't have to. I did not start in a prefabbed 
studio. I started it's in a, a really closet. good studio, by the way. Thank you. I love my studio. I'm in it for most of the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I started in a closet. I had pillows in the corners. I had uh, the clothes still in it because there's sound absorption. And I um, had like my microphone and my little like laptop and I was just going. And so uh, you there's steps that you can take. I think that like the idea that um, the equipment is a barrier is is something um, that is blown up sometimes a bit out of proportion. I believe that like you can get solid, you could get a solid setup, I think, depending on how quiet your space is for like 500 bucks all in. And that will carry you for five years. Mm. And like, if not longer, but the more you learn in the industry, the more you can finesse and fine tune and invest in yourself. But like a camera for a photographer is upwards of a thousand dollars. Like if you think about the, 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 the things that we decide are expensive and the things we decide are not a camera is way more expensive than a microphone. Um, So you, you, you perspective it's and and if you book one gig you get your money back and then you can sit there and you can continue to move forward so it is an investment and it is uh i think important to to realize that if you're going to spend some money to spend it wisely and to spend it well but you're also proving to yourself i'm i'm big on manifestation and i'm big on like um being grateful and aware of of things being present and mindful um if I put money toward this thing, then I am making a commitment to myself that I am going to put more effort into this thing because it is now more valuable to me. Um, so a couple hundred bucks and a self-commitment that you're really going to give it a try could launch you into a completely new career that lets you quit your day job and lets you have financial security and uh, a pension and healthcare. So yes, <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I understand it. I understand it, but that's my answer to it, I guess. Right. What is harder for you? Because uh, you know, we actors have this fear of watching themselves um, do it uh, multiple times or doing whatever. So, for you, is it hard? Is it easier or even harder? I guess to watch yourself after a self tape or having to listen to yourself back after a recording for however long for like a book. I think. Um... I found it inherently easier to listen to myself than to watch myself. Um, I We all have our insecurities in different spaces. Um, and my insecurity from years and years and years of growing up and being a slightly taller, slightly bigger, slightly this, slightly that, tends to come out to the forefront if I have to watch myself on a self-tape. So those are tough. I have to really take like my ego away from it and just perceive it as a product that um, is being seen with new eyes. I have less of that barrier with my voice because I just tend to, I just happen to like my voice better, I guess. Uh, but I also have a little bit more of a disconnect because the the voice that I hear coming back through the speakers doesn't quite sound like the voice that I hear in my head. The bones in your ears actually vibrate differently Um like you hear more resonance, you hear more sound on the inside of your head than you do on the outside of the head, which is a lot of that disconnect for people. Like they hear themselves back. They're like, oh, I sound so whiny or oh, I sound so tinny. Well, you're getting, you're missing those bass notes because literally your jaw is acting like a bass trap. So I sound a little bit different when I'm coming back through the speakers and just enough to where very early on, I could take my ego out of it very easily. I could leave it outside the booth and I could listen to it um, with fresh ears and be like, okay, great. Oh, that sounded weird. Or that breath was weird. And I'm going to fix that and blah, blah, blah. and um, enjoy that process a lot more. But uh, yeah, it's, it's just like, I, if you don't like the way that you sound, first off, you always, yeah, everybody sounds great. Second, um, there are ways and a lot of voice training and a lot of breath work that you can find your authentic, kind of like authentic voice, which we as a um, society have really learned how to suppress. We have Kardashians, we have um, stereotypical uh, inflections with different cultures. We have all these things that kind of inform us as we're growing up how we should sound. 
And breaking that down in a lot of my training with my acting was breaking down um, those kind of uh, preconceived notions and being able to kind of like truly come back to yourself. And it's a it's a beautiful thing when you find your voice, like your actual authentic voice. Um, you tend to get like goosebumps. You tend to like feel feel grounded. It's it's a beautiful thing. So you can use that to kind of start to love on yourself and to love your voice and to love those things about you. Um, as you're, if you're finding that, that the ego part of you is having a hard time with being able to listen to yourself back. How long did it take for you for that ego to go away from you at first? Never far. It's never far. <laughs> She's just hanging out right here being like, She's hanging out the door. Every now and then she just knocks on the window, just be like, just to let you know that you sounded weird when you said that. That was a joke that no one's gonna get. And I'm like, thank you so much. Go drink your coffee. Like, oh yeah, it's it's the worst parent in the world. Like, you're not helping, mom. Yep, completely. Well, it's it's the greatest like audition parents in the world. Oh. Just walk. Oh, I love I love those. By the way, I truly. Truly, much like parents, and I, I do, I do believe this is that like I think that your ego and I think your parents and stage parents too have best interests at heart. Like there's nothing, they're not being malicious or evil or mean with an intention to hurt you. They're the ego that, in my in my opinion, is there to keep you safe. And the safest place to be is to not take any risks and to be in stasis. Mm-hmm. And that is. That is literally their goal. Literally her goal is for me to sit there and not to feel anything negative. So she doesn't want me to feel embarrassed. She doesn't want me to feel scared. She doesn't want me to feel tension. So her response is, I'm going to warn you away from all of those things, but that's not growth, right? So acknowledging her and being like, thank you so much for telling me I sounded weird on that. She's like, don't do it again. And I'm like, I won't. I will re- rethink jokes in the future for all time. Thank you. And uh, and acknowledging kind of that part of you that is always going to be there, that is the parrot that will never go away, um, is one of the ways I found to quiet the volume on her a little bit so that um, she feels heard and understood and valued and I can get some work done. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of parents, let's talk about young Brenda for a little bit. So you grew up in Florida. What were you like as a child? Uh, I was a I was always dramatic and theatrical. Um I was very uh early on had no desire to do anything athletic. <laughs> and so um much to the dismay of volleyball coaches everywhere, this like five foot ten teenager was like, no thanks. I don't want to do it. And um, I, I think uh, I in Florida I'm a I'm a ginger. I'm very pale. I have freckles all over. I um, look at the sun and burn. So uh, I was definitely the opposite of a lot of my peers who grew up like adoring the sun, surfing, all of those things. Um, so I, I do think that I felt a little like fish out of water. Um, for a lot of my life, but it's also where I found theater. Um, Florida's community theater, at least where I was at, uh, kind of embraced me. uh, And my school had a good theater program. Um, I went to Florida State for college. They have an excellent theater program. So I credit it to being kind of like the fishbowl that I was able to swim in and learn my craft before I kind of like tried to bounce out into the real world and uh, make a go of it so there's good parts and there's bad parts like everybody's childhood Um, but I feel like overall I do look back on mine and think it was pretty good and I I feel very grateful for it Mm -hmm. oh I just want to say the town you grew up in um was it was it called a Oh, what time did you grow up in? So I the the larger city that everybody knows is Jacksonville, Florida, which is yeah. North Florida. And then I was on a little like surfing golfing town called Ponte Vedra. Um, yeah. yeah, which is close to St. Augustine. It's like on the beach, on, on the beach. It's a golf 
Heaven. I was just going to say it's golf. I looked at it and it, it was the it's best known for its golf. So I had to know how yeah. close were you to playing golf or being. Oh, on the team we moved down there because my dad was in the golf industry. He uh, worked for the PGA Tour. And that's kind of the reason why we were there to begin with. Um, but funnily enough, I, I've never played golf once in my life. Oh, Brenda, we got to get you out there. Oh, I need, I, I need, I need to, to definitely just drive the golf cart. <laughs> I was just going to say. You should have been like, oh, I can't. The the door to this uh little room I'm in is locked and I can't get out right now. It's on the flip, it's probably the the it's probably the sport I've watched the most of because it was mm -hmm. always on. Um so for quite a while when I was still living with my my family, I knew all the key players, I knew yep. their stats. Like, like, you know, people can like spout out stuff about baseball, and I was just like, oh yeah, no, like tiger woods was like bombing at that point so there was just yeah. like a million other people coming to fill the space and i i'd be like oh he bogeyed that oh no like i i was <laughs> watching like people fanatics watch with like pain across their face so uh i i i got into it i just can't play it <laughs> <laughs> When I broke my elbow early this year, the only thing I could do was the Wii that I was staying at my parents after I broke my after I broke it. And so it was nothing but Wii golf for weeks on end, all 18 holes of it. And I would get so competitive with my dad and, and he would be yelling at the TV. It's like, ah, oh, bastard, where's the the wind? The wind's pointing this way, and you point it this way, and it did nothing for me. I'm like, Dad, it's the game. That trap shouldn't be there. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, so breaking families uh, together and breaking others apart. Golf. <laughs> who needs baseball? So you went to Florida State. You studied acting. You studied directing there. And then from there, is that when you went to the uh, the American Musical and Dramatic Academy after you went to uh, college? I had a brief stint here in Chicago, actually. I graduated Florida State with a, a theater degree and then a minor in communication disabilities, um, which is, uh, I have a, a whole other side of me that is accessibility and um, specifically uh, American Sign Language and deaf culture and deaf and hard of hearing um, communities. And so I had a minor in the, those studies and moved here to Chicago and was like, all right, let's hit the ground running. Let's go. Um, and I got laid off twice. It was 2008, which ages me, but that's just what it was. Um, so it was the recession, just like everything tanked. I got laid off twice. I got evicted from my apartment and my boyfriend dumped me. And I was like, this stinks. Chicago is the worst. And it was all on a Monday. So it made it even <laughs> worse. It like just cue like sad Brenda with rain pane like window staring <laughs> out, just like going, what do I do with my life? So um, I decided to go back to school, and I uh, I went very um, kind of broad with my with my desires. I was like, I could get a master's, or I could just get the heck out of Dodge. And um, AMDA American Musical Dramatic Academy offered a conservatory for musical theater. And I had, I had a passion for musical theater, but I had never studied specifically in it. So I decided to go there and move to New York. And I was there um, for five years. The conservatory was two of those five years. I learned a ton, mostly that I'm a mover and not a dancer. And uh, then stayed and kind of hit the pavement and did that whole up at five in the the morning like on a list by six doing my hair and my eyelashes and a line of like eight girls who look exactly like me like cue last five years <laughs> um and I did that for a while I my last audition which I did not get was give a mouse a cookie on tour and I had a real desire to to get back in touch with the art and the artistic side of what I was doing. And I found a lack of that in my opportunities in New York. And my friends here in Chicago had, you know, built their own theater companies and were directing things and were 
um, you know, devising completely new shows. And I was watching that with like stars in my eyes being like, they are actually getting to create and to fill that part of their passion. And I'm working a double. So off I went and moved back here and I've been here for 11 years and uh, it's treated me pretty well. <laughs> and with some people, I watch movies or TV and I like that little cameo from people and maybe it's just a walk-on role or or a silent part or maybe it, the cameo is so brief, it's a blink and you miss. Or I like for you, for example, when you had a one second cameo on an episode of Boardwalk Empire so when I heard about that, I literally was binging the show, trying to find you. And I season could three. not. Season, season three. three. That's the season I own. Season three, episode eight, I believe. They're walking on the boardwalk. Um, there is a, a fire breather that does his like, and they duck. And as they duck, you see me going, oh, and that's it. There I am. Uh, it is. Was that your was that your big SAG moment right there? It was my first time being on a set. Uh, it was a huge set they had built in Brooklyn. It was gorgeous. It literally was something out of Disney World, where the entire thing was like down to the drawers, um, dressed impeccably for uh, the nineteen what was it nineteen twenties um, mm -hmm. and. I got to play dress up and I got to be around a whole bunch of people and it was super fun. It was an overnight shoot. So it's like two in the morning and there's like lights on and action everywhere. And like 20 blah, blah, blah me is like, oh my gosh, it's a party. Um, and it was super fun. The next time uh, they called me on, it was uh, a daytime shoot and it was 101 degrees. <laughs> oh, we love range. And um, like, I died <laughs> like they were very they were very good like handing us water bottles and letting us take breaks and that kind of thing but you're in wool because it's period costuming and um I decided that I uh I didn't want to do this anymore <laughs> so yeah well and then the show ended so you helped bring the show down so now I know why the show was canceled thank you Brenda <laughs> <laughs> I just had I found that out and I had to ask uh so what did your parents do were they ever involved in the arts by the way um my dad like I said he was golf um he was artistic he was an excellent photographer um and he uh comes from an artistic family like my grandmother is a painter his, uh, my two aunts his sisters um made dolls and did the doll show circuit and uh so I, I come by, I think, my artistic talent through my paternal line. Mm -hmm. My mother, um, she didn't explore her artistic ability until she was later in life. And one of the things that she did, um, she was amazing at costuming. And so she would uh, make all the costumes for my school plays. Oh, cool. It was, um, she's a kick-ass on a sewing machine it's really great um and so she she would create like she'd find a pattern and then she'd get the and she'd create it and it was beautiful and so she got to kind of explore that and then um recently she's taken some painting classes and they're good I'm like get it keep going uh yeah but um out of my siblings I have two other siblings and I'm I'm the only one that went that route which I know is similar to your situation yeah I was just gonna say I'm the oldest of four and so they're all like they're like don't be like Matt because here he is making no money at all and what's he he's playing like he's doing a kid show in the morning and he's and he's somehow getting paid for this you know I uh I don't I I would need them to say that to me out loud for me to believe that they do that. No. We went to, this is a story I can tell. This was a couple years ago. I think this was my brother's graduation from high school or middle school. I can't remember. And we all went to dinner and um, there, we're and it's like end of the year. We're talking about like, you know, life. Are we going to go to school? Are we going to move to this school or careers? And my mom goes to my sister. So Kelly, what do you want to do? And she's like, I don't know. And my brother goes, well, whatever it is, it better not be like Matt. I'm like, <laughs> and everyone's like, sitting there. And I'm sitting here. I'm like, yeah. Oh. 
what ab- what about Matt? <laughs> I think that like now that I'm a little bit older and I look back, I really do have to give my parents a lot of credit for not freaking out on me when I was like, I just got evicted in Chicago. I'm moving to New York. And they were like, right? what? What? Have your parents ever seen like a production that you're in and they're like, and they saw and they're like, they were very confused or they didn't quite understand it, but they thought, well, she's happy. And that's kind of all that matters right now. 90% of the productions I've done, I would say my yeah. dad had that reaction. Um, there was, uh, my first, uh, <laughs> this was right out of high school. So I was like maybe 18 or 19 in college. I got cast in Biloxi Blues and I was the lady of the night. And there was an onstage moment of, uh, comedic lady of the night-ing. And I, um, specifically made my parents promise that they wouldn't come to see that show, because uh, at 19, I was like, this is this is not this is not it. This is not what you do. Um, <laughs> so that's the only one that my mom has missed, I think. Like, uh, I think she's come to every other production I've ever done. My dad's come to to most of them when he was still alive. And he uh, but he would also be like. Like, yep. I have I have seen that show nodding, you know, <laughs> You're like, thanks, Dad, for your support. And he's like, mm. and then after a couple drinks, he'd be like, so why did the director choose this? And then we yep. go in. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know what my parents judged me more in. Either when I did SpongeBob and I was, and I had two extra, I played Square and I had the two extra pair of legs, and they probably thought that was a little weird. Or when I did Eurydice and I was a talking rock. And they it's a good role though. Oh it is. And I'm like raving to them before the show. I'm like, this is my favorite thing I've ever done. I love everyone in this cast. It's a beautiful, beautiful show. I love this script so much. And they're like, oh, cool. He must really, this must be a really great show. And I come out and I'm like, it's kind of circus laying. We're all just sort of crawling out from under pipes and we're making like popping noises to each other and we're like we are a trio of stones or something like that and my parents are very much mm, yeah they're not it's not making sense to them at all why is he wrong i really think um like uh we as a theater community don't really understand how weird we are (laughs) and like (laughs) And I, I love, I love some viewpoints. I love getting right. in there and swaying like a tree. Like, give me, um, tell me to start walking around the room. And I'm like, on it, I'm here. Right. <laughs> but I, you, uh, you, you want me to play a color? I'll play a color. Here we go. Yeah. And, but when they make, like, when outside sources make fun of like, be the tree, be the tree. And I sit there and I'm like, yeah, yeah. Um, I've, I think that like, I think it's done as a, a service and and a disservice, but a service in that like this childlike curiosity that I think that um, many people get kind of like pummeled down to the bottom of their uh, their being is something that we constantly get a chance to re up and and feed positivity to and give like you know give a bowl of soup and, and, you know, uh, a piece of pie and are like, okay, great. So you're still safe. You're still fed. You're still here. Okay, great. Um, I'm really into soup right now. That wasn't like a crusty bed thing. It was like, seriously, I just want soup. And that's okay. And I think that like, uh, part of the, part of the disservice of that moment that I'm just like recently journaling about now is that like a lot of my creative endeavor has always had an outside eye being able to either direct it or tell me what that is and so like like my being the tree like I don't I don't be the tree on my own just for funsies like I do it in service of something or someone else's vision uh and like so I recently encourage everyone to take a moment and to just kind of like free flow move your body weird or not be a tree don't be a tree be a rock um, but I think that like we as a community don't understand how nobody else knows how to do that. And I don't even think we really know how to do it for ourselves. That's no, no. that's the thesis. <laughs> no. 
it was so hard for me to actually like my parents were always asking me every day after classes when I was training at Columbia how what did you do today what did you do here how's it going and it's I realized about halfway through maybe after my second year it was very hard for me to kind of explain what I was doing for and for them not to go oh this is what we're paying for. I, I bring up like the color, for example, but yes, there was about 45 minutes in the class where we would be, all right, now you're the color red. What does red exemplify? Or what is that? How, what does red mean to you? Uh, and you would tell, I would tell my dad this and he's like, oh, okay. And what does, <laughs> what does red mean to you? And I'm like, and I'm trying to, I think I said something like lust or anger and how do you portray lust or anger in person, you know? And they were very, again, it's one of those, it's, it doesn't make sense. The more you explain what you're trying to do, what you're training for, the less like serious this career kind of sounds or the less professional at times it feels like. It's true. But like, think about the idea that like you found out that like red is embodied by like luster, lust and, and anger, right? Yeah. That's yeah. marketing. Like right. if you were to sit there and you were to present that like in your like corporate job where you were just like, I went through all of the colors and I came up with the primary words that those colors are infused with. And we can use this in order to convince people different ideologies or different um, implications of our products. Let's use it. People will be like, you're a genius. Oh my gosh, you're so great. So it's like, we're being taught these fundamental things that like it's part of the reason why actors in general are so hireable for like muggle jobs is because we are inherently taught how to problem solve we're inherently taught how to analyze something quickly we're able to think outside of a box to solve a problem we're able to sit there and look at something and like analyze very quickly the emotions or the uh, implications or actions that need to be taken in order to engage with that thing, the color red. It's, it's all of these things that like, that's what you're, I want to scream at parents, like, that's what you're paying for. Right. That like you are, you're probably in, in a lot of ways, giving your child a more well-rounded opportunity than a liberal arts degree would in order to choose their own path going forward from here, because you've taught them how to be comfortable in their own body. You've taught them how to engage with people. You've taught them how to read a room. You've taught them how to take constructive criticism. You've, you've done all of these things by giving them a theater degree. And whether they use it for theater or not, they're set up in order to be able to use that as their like springboard to go do a million different things to get that, you know, six figure marketing job. Um, so if your dad's listening, <clears throat> Matthew is set up to do anything he wants to do. If he decides he wants to make money. Yes. The end. And the, the answer is yes. I want to make money. <laughs> <laughs> Just like everyone else, dad, don't worry. I finished gonna... strong. I finished strong on that. Yeah. And I, and my wallet says I still finish poor. So that's okay. So <laughs> uh, I'm on audio book with me. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. Uh, I kind of want to bring up accessibility with, we were taught, you talked a little bit about that. And I think because of you, um, the world of accessibility has kind of opened up my eyes a little bit more. I work in the box office now. And now when I start, I, I, you know, learned a little bit about accessibility from you. And then I transitioned to a box office and for people wondering like, why are we talking about this and how serious it is? It kind of explain how it's just more serious than uh, an older, a senior citizen or someone over the age of 65 coming in with like a, a wheelchair or a walker. It's a lot more than that. It's, you know, hard of hearing or low vision or, um, yeah, I'll let you, you're no, the expert. You're using all the right terms. You're doing great. Uh, yeah, so accessibility, a lot of times, um, it, it, I'll start by saying the ADA um, 27 years ago now, I guess like passed a law that said that you have to provide accommodations for people who have disabilities. Um, and the, the actual like Im implementation of that uh, has been... <laughs> hit and miss. And so right. um, 
I work specifically in the theatrical communities when I am trying to talk about access, but really it's like broadened everywhere where it's like, this is just beyond having like a, a parking spot that is handicap accessible, which I even hate the term handicap because it's really just strike it, strike it from your vocabulary. It, it just, it just feels dated. I'm going to be honest it is. with you. It absolutely is. Um, and while you're at it, uh, hearing impaired, just strike that from your strike it from here too just generally hard of hearing um low vision low mobility deaf is um a cultural association as well as a disability association if you see somebody that has a big d deaf um in their writing or when they talk to you typically that means they know american sign language and american sign language is a cultural um a, a whole cultural bubble just inside of it, outside of it, just being a mode of communication. It's the language comes with a lot of um, pride and a lot of history. And people who are big D deaf um, are using that as their primary mode of communication. Little D deaf just is hearing uh, hard hearing loss. It's just hard of hearing. And um, usually those people um, know less sign language they can still know sign language but they don't identify themselves with the deaf culture and so when we talk about accessibility in like things like theater we're talking about like captioned performances we're talking about interpreted performances we're talking about um audio descriptions for low vision patrons that's when they have little headsets on and you have somebody in the corner that literally describes and a lot of these things are available like on netflix now which is amazing you can like, if you're curious about what it is, you can go to the settings and you can go to audio like description and you can actually experience what it's like. It's kind of cool. And um, in addition to those things, we also like have uh, sensory um, uh, sensory performances where people who are, excuse me, I just burped, um, <laughs> sensory, just for our listeners, why there was a pause there. <laughs> Uh, uh, sensory sensitive performances where people who um, maybe are on the spectrum um, or have other issues where they they feel overloaded or overwhelmed very easily, they can come into a performance and know that the lights are going to be up, that there's no strobes, that there's not going to be any loud gunshots or um, bangs, and they can enjoy the performance too. All uh, These things are all so important because if we don't have access to them, then people literally lose the opportunity to experience art and experience theater. And that's where we've, we learn our empathy. That's where we learn our passion. That's where we, we uh, get to engage with people in a communal way and be able to experience something together and form, you know, that that feeling of camaraderie. Like these things are all so embedded in that experience that a lot of times we take for granted because we always have them available to us. Um, people who are hard of hearing or deaf, for example, they get like maybe one performance out of a run. It's usually a matinee. It's usually uh, the afterthought performance. It's like the one that didn't sell as well. So they're like, great, that one's going to be the one that we do. They rarely get to go get dressed up on a Saturday night and go out and be able to have the experience of dinner and a show um, because it's just not accessible to them. And so I do a lot of advocacy work on fighting for those moments of equality and equity because... The equality part is, yes, you get to see this performance just like everyone else. The equity is that we are automatically telling you by not telling you, by not doing something, that you're lower on our priority list than these people are. And so a lot of uh, a lot of the push is for equity in those spaces as well. Um, and I think that the, the storefront theaters are doing an incredible job doing it with the limited uh, available options that they have. Like I see Babes with Blades who has like no budget. They have a budget, but it's like compared to Goodman, they have no budget. Yeah. And they're, you know, they're getting interpreted performances and they're creating like these spaces and these uh, opportunities with um, with Richard III where they're having like literally low vision uh, actors on stage as well as audio descriptive performances. And, and, then I, I, so then I kind of have a critical eye on these larger houses where I'm like, great, you have a, do you have a disability director? What you doing? Where are you going? Right. <laughs> yeah. right. 
and you said just the one performance you know i think more is necessary than just you know even people who have more accessibility they have lives too you know they can't if they can't make the one performance and that's it they miss the show and then they're never going to see it or they're never going to experience what everyone else has been seeing, you know, and it brought up the great point of like, we should be doing then the bare minimum. Sure. We're doing, and I'm not just speaking for good, I'm speaking for all theaters in general. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I, I'm saying, even though I work for a theater, I, I praise that, Hey, they're doing something at least. And they have an accessibility coordinator who's doing everything they can to make it best for everyone. But I I'm saying just in general, I think more theaters should be looking at that uh, a lot more. And you bring up empathy, you know, it's the one thing I forget sometimes where I could be mad, I could be working and I could be dealing with frustrated patrons. And then I realize at the same time, well, these people don't, or some people won't experience are just trying to see a show and it's just stressful for them you know to be going through all this and and maybe it's hard maybe it's embarrassing or maybe it's just frustrating it's just that everything that we i need to deal take in as well of you know make it the best they can you know yeah i would say like one of the most eye-opening things for me is like um, um, if you picture yourself in a foreign country mm-hmm. um, that doesn't speak your language and then you have to interact with everyone day in and day out and not only do they not learn your language they don't understand that you're actually speaking yeah. um, the awareness especially towards like American Sign Language in the United States has it's leaps and bounds above where it was 15, 20 years ago. Like when I was first learning sign language, um, like, I mean, Marley Matlin was like the only name you could think of. And now we have like now DeMarco, we have like a, a broader version of these, um, these icons that are kind of like bringing to the forefront, this uh, beautiful, beautiful culture that is kind of, always been overlooked or passed over but it's always been there <laughs> like it's yeah. it's literally american sign language it's a part of here um so to only offer one performance like i look at broadway i look at broadway critically because i see uh the west end over in england they have bsl they have british sign language which is different but comparable and they are uh they have pledged i'm not sure if they've completely done it yet but they have pledged to have uh caption performances on demand so you can go at to any show and be able to see it captioning with it um on a personal device i believe i don't believe it's like open captioning but still um we already do this for opera at the met they have like embedded in the seat in front of you like a ticker that literally will sit there and um translate <laughs> the the opera in italian for you in english like we're not we don't have to wait for the technology to be there and my idea is if you if you are working at a house that has millions as a a you know ledger little like instant like you you get to put millions as your financials you can you can invest some of it into this and um make a difference Right. I actually did a, I don't think I have performed, but I definitely witnessed a sensory performance when I was performing at Navy Pier, where I praised what they were doing. I'm not sure if it was the greatest idea in the world to do a sensory performance in a huge space, mixing with the the general public coming in. So like they opened, so they turned off the stage lights. So it was just your regular, like everyday ballroom lights were on, kind of how we're in our right now but then they and they turned the music off and it was like well it's a great start but now you have five thousand people who maybe this is not for them and they're just the general public who are still screaming at the top of their lungs and not and so that's still not really working maybe you're working for a certain group certain accessible uh, group of people but uh, the big picture still now is still now missing you're kind of missing you're still missing the point you know one of the theaters that I think um, did an excellent job with sensory performances was a house theater. Mm-hmm. Um, when they were still around, they would do things like provide fidget spinners and mm-hmm. blankets. 
um, keep the house lights up. They would keep the volume of the music down. They would cut any, you know, um, like I said, any loud, sudden noises. And then uh, they also kind of lift the house lights to be able to let people get up and move around if they need to. And this is, um, I think this is something that needs a little bit of training in our community because we are kind of so accustomed to the etiquette of an audience and getting annoyed and frustrated immediately when that etiquette is broken because there is a expectation of audiences quiet and still until they react to us and then that reaction is allowed but otherwise please be silent and so this is kind of the antithesis of that where you'll have people like talking to each other you'll have them running up and down it is an environment that you're creating that's safe and so the training for that, if I was able to give this to a group, would include the idea that like what you're doing is valid and important because it's exposure and exposure is the, the main part of this performance. And there will be some people that are paying attention. There will be some people who tune in and out. And there will be some people that just are here to bask in the feeling of being in an artistic space. And all three of those are valid reasons to come to the theater. I agree. And there should be more, um, you know, when I think of Coda, which came out last year, great movie. However, yeah. it, should, it shouldn't take a movie winning a bunch of awards for people to, find, to see what this movie's about. Yep. You know, so yeah. there's been plenty of other movies or that deal or that have, that have the idea, not the idea, that feature uh accessible actors or people who are deaf or hard of hearing there's plenty more of that it shouldn't just take a movie winning an award for people to realize what it is but you bought you, you got that for me so that's you're you're absolutely right and it's kind of just where attention goes um energy flows right so yep. uh, <laughs> the more the more that we can have this be a part of our everyday the more awareness that we give the general public or just patrons or or artistic um entrepreneurs in general then the the more those those spaces will become equitable spaces for everybody yeah well we've been i said 30 minutes when i asked you to come on to this and we've been talking for almost an hour but we still have time we're going i'm still going to do this game that i've been working on uh so time for two i think we talked about this before i don't remember uh two minutes on the clock two minutes of random icebreaker questions no right i should not be pointing my finger at you because i could tell you're looking down like i'm kind of nervous <laughs> you see my shoulders just go I off I like, move away from the camera and i'm like a test yep i was like wait this is this feels like now listen up here um two minutes of random icebreaker questions no right no wrong i just want to see what uh your opinion is are you ready Yes. All right, here we go. Three, two, one, go. Coffee or tea? Coffee. How do you like your eggs? Sunny side up. What chore do you absolutely hate doing? Folding laundry. Ooh. AC or DC? AC. Fork, spoon, or knife? Fork. Uh, do we all live in a yellow submarine? Uh-huh. An Is there an uh Yeah. <laughs> Is there an eye in the sky? Uh, yeah. Would you rather have unlimited sushi for life or unlimited tacos? Unlimited tacos. What movie would be greatly improved if it was made into a musical? <laughs> um, Ever After. Ooh. I think it was made a musical, actually. Probably. I don't know. Well, we don't have a fact checker on the show because it's just. I me. think it was. Uh, I think it's made a Broadway one, but move it over to TV. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> what animal will be uh, will be cool if you scale up to the size of a horse? An iguana. Ooh, nice. Uh, fair part of human face. Uh, uh your smile. Oh, smile. And that, I was saying not just my smile, but your smile too. You're included in that. <laughs> Great. Uh, what is in your fridge right now? um chili crunch and some leftover ham from christmas nice uh is a dj just someone who's good at itunes no not a good dj 
Pro DJs. <laughs> Pro DJs. Uh, Brendan or Brandon? Brendan, because it's close to Brenda. Yeah. Favorite president? Obama. <laughs> Favorite Beatle? Ringo. Who is the greatest game show host of all time? Uh, Mark Summers. <laughs> that good answer. That's an underrated <laughs> answer. And I forgot, I forgot about him too. Uh, what would you do? Uh, that's again me aging myself. God. No, that's a great one. Double Unwrapped. dare. Oh, double dare. Great stuff. Brenda, my last question to you is Are your parents proud of you? Yes. Yeah. And I'm proud of them. Oh, look at that little heartwarming moment, moment we have right there. <laughs> Brenda, I think you know this, but I cherish our friendship and I'm so happy to have you in my life. And I can't thank you enough for finally coming onto this program. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I hope everybody has a good day. Thank you, Brenda, for coming on to the show. As always, I think she is just one of my favorite people to talk to and hear life lessons. Come on, who doesn't love life lessons? Speaking of life, you know what you should be doing in your life besides sharing this podcast and going on a walk? Uh, is liking this podcast on Facebook and liking this podcast on Instagram and emailing us parentsproudpodcast at gmail.com. That sweet, 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 sweet email. Next week, we have, have sorry, I stumbled on my words because I'm so excited. Uh, we're going to have the theater critic for the Chicago Tribune, Chris Jones. Oh, yes. We're going there. See you then.